All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast. Week 8. Week 8, Thursday night games, Friday night games, Saturday games. MWWire.com is where you can find whatever we talk about. You know what I mean, Matt? Football, basketball, expansion, Twitter, MWCWire, where we may stray from the from the norm, but it's all good. It's all sports, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's all the same. We don't need to get into that, but um, just cool your Jets, people. It's all good. So... Are you ready for early? Fo- How's your schedule going to play out, Matt? If we have Thursday games, Friday, and the weekend, is this a more conducive viewing schedule? Yeah, I mean, because the really the only conflict you have is on Saturday afternoon with a pair of insanely good games going on in Colorado Springs and Fresno at the same time. Um, I mean, other than that, you won't even need to have your second device. It's also annoying that those two games are overlapping. I mean, I'm not complaining. No, I guess one thing, well, we'll get to the little TV scheduling note for that Fresno-Nevada game, but let's just get to it. San Jose State UNLV. Rebels at home, what, five-point underdog, 46-and-a-half line. It's on CBS Sports Network. A late kick for Thursday night, 8 p.m. local there in Vegas with the uh, giant slot machine apparently was the thing, <laughs> if you watched the broadcast. Yeah. Um, do we, is it, for, for people to know, Matt, we're recording this Tuesday night. Is there? Yes. Have you seen any update or word about the San Jose State quarterback situation? Is it? I have be, not. So potentially, likely, could be still Nick Nash, which means uh, Rebels could be in store for their first victory under Marcus Arroyo. That's how I'm playing this one. Maybe. I mean, it, it really depends on you know how you sort of viewed context through which Nick Nash has operated over the last few weeks. Because yes, the the offense has struggled. But you have to remember that it was against maybe the best two defenses in the last two weeks that the Mountain West has to offer, you know, San Diego State and Colorado State. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though on the year, you know, he's only completing 56% of his passes, like that's not kind of what, I mean, even if he had been put into a kind of pinch hitter duty, if you will, like you would have expected him to have been maybe a touch better than that just based off of past performance. Yeah. But he's still averaging over seven and a half yards per attempt, 7.7. He's only thrown two interceptions in 75 pass attempts, which is, you know, a, a decent interception rate. It's the, I think it's like, I'm trying to do the math as we talk, <laughs> you know, two, 2.67, which, you know, it's not great, but it's not terrible. And again, you know, that was, a, and most of that workload was against some top tier defenses. And so when you start looking at this game, you sort of have to remember, oh yeah, well, that's not that doesn't really describe UNLV. <laughs> you no, know? it does not. Especially when it comes, you know, down to what they've done against pass defense, because, you know, as we just saw again last week, you know, with the, the Logan Bonner to Devin Tompkins connection, the Rebels can be beat through the air, you know, the, through six games, you know, their completion percentage allowed is 72.8%. Oof, that is, um... that's, that is nearly 10 points worse than the next worst team in the conference. It's not um, and, and oh, by the way, they are also giving up a conference high nine yards per attempt, and they've already given up 17 touchdowns. And and while it's not necessarily like, you know, totally hopeless, because they do have five interceptions as well. But you have to you have to think like, you know, between Nick Nash and, and the weapons that they have around him. And I'm thinking particularly of like Derek Deese, who has been coming on strong and pretty quietly. You know, given the fact that you know Trey Trey McBride, rightfully so, takes up a lot of the of the spotlight, I would say, 
and and of course we we like to make our jokes seemingly mm-hmm. every week about Cole Turner being the <laughs> the, the fade master the fade, the fade king yeah <laughs> but did you realize that at this point Derek Deese leads the entire country's tight ends in 20 yard pass plays I did not that's very impressive yeah and and when you just look at what he's done on a per catch basis like he's fourth in the conference and that that includes wide receivers as well um obviously so i think there are a lot of potential mismatches for san jose state in this game if nash can can you know find them down especially down mm-hmm. the field especially with a guy like you know derek Deese, who, you know given that you know i, I would say jacoby women and or adam plant if they're starting at linebacker in this game could make for a maybe a capable one-on-one matchup i would imagine that you know, the defensive coordinator, Peter Hansen will probably want to give either one of them help down the field. If Deese is, or, or other tight ends, especially are in a position to, you know, stretch them. But I think that if, if I'm San Jose state, that's a matchup that I think I can win down the field. And at a minimum, like if you're taking someone like Woodman away from the line of scrimmage, you know, I think that is something else that bodes particularly well for their chances because even with him, even with the performance that they had last week against Utah State, this is still a team that on defense, you know, they have a 3.1% sack rate. So they haven't gotten to the quarterback very often. It's 122nd nationally. And even if San Jose State's offensive line hasn't been of the same caliber it was last year, you have to think that they feel good about their chances to just kind of do what they want to if they can get off to a fast start. You know, it's 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 going to take some doing as far as like getting the run game going, because that's one thing that UNLV has quietly done pretty well, no matter how you slice it, mm-hmm. you know, by line north per carry, they're basically a top 40 team, you know, by a lot of the other metrics that I like to talk about in these preview podcasts, like opportunity rate, as far as running backs, basically getting to the second level and they're 26th nationally, you know, 42.2% allowed um, short yardage running situations better than you think. Like they're basically top 50 there. The top 50 in terms of stop right. So like they've proven that they can get behind the line of scrimmage. And so I think there's the potential that like, if, if the, if the passing game can't get it going, then maybe this is an opportunity for Tyler and Evans to come out and be the guy that he was down the stretch last year for this team. I think if they want to, you know, take that next kind of crucial step at this point towards ball eligibility, they're going to need him to step up in this game. And I think that they have the capacity to, to either bully them down the field, down the seams with their tight ends, you know, Deese, Samuels, and Dominic Mazzotti, or just between the tackles with a guy like Nevins. I think both of those things are available to them, but they, you know, they still have to prove that they can do it because against, like we said, against San Diego State and against Colorado State, they really couldn't. No, they could not. <laughs> so that's why you think that's, um, so this game, kind of more into it. We Again, UNLV hasn't won in what? couple years two years right <laughs> yeah i know i know tyler bischoff keeps an exact count of how many days it's won since they won a game it's um, a little bit skewed with a few games last year i would say i do like in the game notes rebels prevailed last time spartan visited in 2019 so they do have a winning well it's not a winning streak because you know how it is in a, the major league it's not a winning streak until you win three games or something yeah but they did beat them last time which was up if i recall probably a fairly mild upset just because spartans were reasonably good two years ago but what can you mention the pass defense? It's if Nick Nash is a starter, it's he'll probably still have success in the air. Like all the stuff you mentioned about Dees, we didn't even really mention Isaiah Hamilton either. But this could be a game 
where that secondary might actually be able to have a decent game because Nick Nash isn't like the most prolific or accurate passer out there either. So, you know what I mean? That could be an area where they can improve and Rebels can make some plays because they, they had the – what's his name last week? Oh, shoot. Who got the pick last week? Um, Oh, shoot. Oh, Whatever. Cameron Oliver. Oliver, yeah. And I was looking at Cam. like, oh, okay, yeah, him. Like, he can make a big play. So I'm thinking that might be neutralized a little bit, but I don't know. It's just – if you're that bad, maybe Nick Nash has like one of his best games and he goes for – Let's just, for example, say he completes sixty-five percent of his passes. Technically, that's still better than what UNLV gives up, but it's still not good. Yeah, there, I guess so. what I guess what I'm saying, like, there's there's a potential for Nash and and the playmakers around him to look a lot closer to what they look like against New Mexico State than the way that they've looked more recently. Just because, mm-hmm. as a whole, UNLV's defense yeah. is a lot closer to the Aggies than they are to the Aztecs or the Rams, well, clearly. at least right now. So what are we going to see? So here's what I want to see too. Like, let's go to the Rebels offense real quick because Charles Williams is clearly the man, but the uh, Spartans rush defense is um, the defense played well last week. Like they held Greg Bell to what, 45 yards, I think it was under four, under 45 or under 50. Charles mm-hmm. Williams is a different type of back than Bell because Williams will kind of just um, bust you over, and Bell has a little bit more. Pep in a step, you want to say? The sidestep, he has the mm-hmm. little spin move a little bit here and there, not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charles Williams is going to bowling ball you over the over the head 10 times, 100 times, whatever it may be. I We know that's how they're going to try to win, and that's probably the only way they're going to win. That's how they were hanging around Utah State because Charles Williams just ran and ran and ran and had that huge run and was able to put up touchdowns. The, can they do that versus San Jose State? Maybe. Because Spartans defense, we've discussed, like a Cade Hall and Fahoko have been okay, but not elite like they were last year or the preseason or all-conference players they purported to be. That might be – I think that's how – well, it's going to be how they're going to win. Because quarterback, mm-hmm. it's probably Justin Rogers. Again, we're doing this Tuesday. There's nothing really official about it with um, Brumfield still being injured. Cameron Frill got hurt last week in the game. So if they go to Rogers, it's just going to be handoff city, right? I mean, you would think so because, you know, and, and the latest from their press conference on Monday was that, you know, Doug Brumfield, who we haven't seen in action for a couple of weeks now, still day to day with a back injury, according to Sam Gordon of the uh, of the Review Journal. So we don't know his status. We don't know Cameron Friel's status. Um, you know, Justin Rogers, you know, he I'm assuming he's probably the most healthy guy on the roster, yeah. but he's been you know very up and down if you want to be charitable. Um, and then beyond that, you know, maybe Tate Martell sprinkled in for a handful of plays and, and how well is that going to go over, you know, because no, it hasn't not. really worked. And so, you know, I look at what the Rebels offense has done to this point in the season and I look at their early down rush rate in particular, which is basically just a, def- a definition of, you know, how often is a team running the football on first or second downs? And UNLV's overall figure is not as high as I thought it would, given the turnover that they've had at quarterback. They're only running the ball on first and second down 53% of the time, 53.7 to be exact. But I have to imagine that after last week's performance, whether they might be more willing to give the ball to Williams, especially if you're trying to protect your quarterback, who you know, just based on numbers is likely to be limited in some regard Yeah, you know, because on the year now, and, and maybe this is skewed to touch by the long touchdown run that, that, that the Chuck wagon had last week, but you know, without, uh, even without all of the context, you know, you're still looking at a guy who 
has more first down carries than anybody in the conference, but Brad Roberts, and he's averaging 5.3 yards per carry on first downs. Yeah. And so I have to think against the Spartans defense that is it's, it's been more or less as productive on a per play basis as it was last year, even if they haven't been quite as disruptive, even if they haven't been quite as turnover happy, like they've still been as productive, but I think there's maybe the potential for the rebels to push them around a little bit. And I think, you know, if you're trying to protect Freel or Brumfield or whoever is ends up taking the snaps, then, then maybe this is another game where Charles Williams goes out there and has 20, 25 carries or something like that. And kind of going back to your point from our most recent recap, you know, maybe they find ways to get other running backs involved for a change too. Just a couple. Like he'll get 20 plus, but give just a handful. Like yeah. Six carries among two guys. That's it's- Yeah. And I say and I say all of that in spite of the fact mm-hmm. that like Freel himself, like when he's been healthy, he's actually been pretty good himself. He has, yes. On for on first down throws, especially. So I mean, I guess you know, there's the on the one hand, like I I get why Arroyo and his coaching staff want to try and be as balanced as they can be on first downs. Like I don't think they want to be predictable, which is you know, it definitely works. And and Freel has made it work, you know, despite the injuries that he's that he's suffered over the last month or so. You know, he's completing nearly seventy percent of his first down throws and his overall passer rating, which isn't the most accurate measure of like how reliable a quarterback is, but it's a, it's a reasonable 151 overall. Yeah. And so I think under normal circumstances, I would say, yeah, okay, go ahead and be balanced. But I think if you're trying to protect, you know, whoever's under center, then maybe you do lean on Williams, maybe 60% of the time, 65% of the time, than you would otherwise. Is that enough though to get, <laughs> to help them get the win, like, I mean, if if they can set themselves up with like second and six, second and five, then yeah, I think they'll do themselves a huge favor in the long run because I think, you know, even with sort of the shaky quarterback play, that's a much better situation for them to be operating out of than you know throwing on first down and then having to throw again on second and third down. Like that hasn't worked as often for the Rebels as you might think. Because who's their main receiver? Like they don't really, they're not really super deep at catching the ball, and so it's like. Yeah, and, and I mean, and they're, and that, you know, part, part of that is because they're breaking in a lot of new guys too. Yeah, still, mm-hmm. you know, because of course Kyle Williams is still around. Zayel Griffin has made you know three or four starts this year, but then you're starting to see more new faces, which you know we talked about it more on the defensive side of the ball last week than we did on offense. But you know, uh, Kilanahe Mendiola Jensen, for instance, is a freshman who's you know he got he's gotten starts over the last couple of weeks, so he's seeing more of the ball. Or, or the you know tight end Kaleo Bonge is you know seeing more playing time, and so you're starting to see more of those young faces you know step up and take on more prominent roles, and you know maybe the hope is that they they, they can you know create chunk plays where some of the veteran guys weren't able to in, in past weeks, but even then that might be easier said than done because same as they say secondary, even despite the fact like I said they haven't generated quite as many turnovers as they did in 2020. They still have been very active as far as defending passes. Like I think I've mentioned this once or twice in previous podcasts past, but this is still a team that you know has defended 40 passes in six games, which on a per game basis, number one in the conference. So what do the numbers say here? Because I well, let me before we get to there, here's how I think it could play out. Because I'm leaning. My pick is in on our Google Doc. But I may change that mm-hmm. because I'm not going to post yet. 
I don't know if I'm going to lean, if I'm going to change. I might lean UNLV in this game, but the quarterback situation is not ideal. Because if, yeah. it's, Cam, if Cameron for real were starting, I probably would have, I'd be pretty confident taking UNLV getting the win at home for what Charles Williams, what they can do in the way the Spartans have struggled moving the ball. Like, mm-hmm. The Spartans defense is still going to be pretty good. So it's still going to be almost the same game plan. But if it's like you said, if it's third and passing situation more often than not, how much you ch- trust Justin Rogers? He's been around for a couple of years, but he only played a little bit last year and he looked okay. He had to step in last week. But um, I I do think I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm probably leaning Spartans here. But what are the advanced numbers? Are they out? Because it's Tuesday night. I saw FEI did come out recently. Did you just check? Yeah, the- some some of them are out. Um, Bill Connolly's SP Plus predictions aren't available. So if you aren't following on Twitter at ESPN underscore Bill C, you can look those up. He usually posts them Wednesday, I think. So I would say you know it'll probably be out by the time you, you hear get this, this yeah. on your on your podcasting platform of choice. Um, FEI, however, favors the Rebels very slightly. 0.3 fav- point favorites. Oh, interesting. Um, and then, you know, Parker Fleming's advanced stats preview, which we talked about more um, recently on the podcast at Stats O War on Twitter. Um, he favors the Spartans as slight favorites, 53.5% win probability, but the, the projected margin is basically one point, 26 to 25. FPI is basically the same, 51.1 in favor of San Jose State. This is a pick of all pick yet they're favored by five points. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Spartans are. Road, is it road? It's in Vegas, right? Yeah. They're a road five-point favor. That's pretty steep for a road team. What do you take? Who are you taking? So I'm going to take the Spartans because I think if – if Friel, if I knew Friel were healthy, I would probably take the Rebels. Same. But I think that, you know, this game compared to last week, I think last week was a better chance for them to break through just because Utah State doesn't necessarily have the same caliber of defense to this point in the season. And so, you know, the uncertainty at quarterback scares me. I don't know if Charles Williams is going to be able to go off for another 220 yards. So, I think it'll probably be another close game. I do think the Rebels will cover barely, um, but I'm going to take the Spartans to win 28 to 24. I think the Spartans are going to win as well. It's going to be close, like everybody says. I'm going to go a little bit less scoring. I'll go 20 to 17, San Jose State. All right, then. Not many points. Next game Colorado State at Utah State up in Logan. Seven, third. Okay, 7.30. Okay, fine. We'll take that kickoff. 7.30 local time. I'm double-checking my eyes here. I'm like, usually half hour is not the case for these <laughs> night games, unless it's like 8.30. Um, so it's a uh, CSU favored by three and a half. It opened up as minus one, I believe. 50 mm. and a half over-under, which is, eh, we'll see. CBS Sports Network, so make sure you get that FUBO link if you need to watch the game for free over the weekend, because we hook you up every time. So the Rams are on a roll here. Um, I put in like my overreaction. Like, pro- like I joked last week. That hey, frame this picture while you have the chance in first place. They could be three and zero this week in conference play. Yes, they could. They are, however, again caveat. They play, beat San Jose State, who's as we know not amazing. They beat New Mexico, who is not good. They go to Utah State, who has been um, inconsistent. Is that a good way to put it? Injuries a yeah. little bit with quarterback Andrew Bonner, or excuse me, Logan Bonner, Andrew Peasley. Sorry, mix mix the two guys in there. They beat Air Force. Lose to, um, they barely beat UNLV. They probably should have lost to UNLV. 
And so it's like back and forth, like what, what are they going to get out of this game? But one thing about the Rams, I'm assuming Dante Wright, since he played a little bit last week, could be more healthy this week. And if he's more fully healthy, that Dante Wright, Devin Tompkins um, receiving, chucking the ball to him will be one fun thing to watch. But I'm just wondering how healthy Wright will be because that might be the difference because Tutson Centeno played really well last week without him, just throwing to Trey McBride and others. And so if Dante Wright's out there and can do a bit more of the creative type of things he's known to do and just use his speed to go downfield, that might be the difference if he's more back to what he would – basically what typical Dante Wright is. That's a maybe a big task after one game back and barely playing with, what, one catch last week. But I do mm-hmm. think that could be a big area in this game if they have another weapon on offense because the running game is reasonably well. They throw to McBride. Santeo's had to throw to other receivers the past couple of weeks – and so he's kind of getting a bit more familiar. It's like, hey, I don't have to chuck it to these two guys. I have two, maybe three, four, five guys I can throw the ball to. Yeah, and I think to your point, you know, Centeno seems like he might be in a good position to have another solid or better game just because, you know, Utah State's, you know, they've got sort of a lackluster pass rush. And, that, and that's something that is more in common with some of the teams that Colorado State's been able to get the upper hand against recently. Um, you know, Utah State only has eight sacks in six games, which, you know, definitely lags relative to a lot of other teams in the conference. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of overall sack rate, they're 104th nationally, um, you know, only 4.7 allowed overall. So even though Colorado State's been, you know, you know, solid, not necessarily like amazing at, at keeping Centeno upright, that seems like a potential mismatch. I would say even without Dante, right. Or even if he's limited, like he, you know, he played, but he didn't start last week. Ty McCullough still got the start. Mm-hmm, yeah. But, you know, McCullough seems like the kind of guy where, you know, better late than never, as far as being able to kind of figure things out, he seems to be emerging as a guy who can go, who can also stretch the field, you know, in Wright's absence. And so I think between him, you know, even if Wright is a little bit closer to hundred percent, then that's great. Um, but I think between him and Trey McBride and, you know, kind of knowing what this offense wants to do, like they just seem to be more what they envisioned themselves to be at the beginning of the year. And they, and they're executing in a way that they weren't early in the year. And so I think, you know, given Utah state's overall defensive struggles, you know, again, it may not be the flashiest offense in the world, but you know, when you look at this game, it wouldn't surprise me if like Colorado state, for instance, averaged, you know, six yards of play and ended up, you know, scoring another 30 points or something like that, especially if the Aggies aren't able to generate a lot of pass rush. It should be noted, Dante Wright is, I don't know if the depth chart's been updated recently, but listed as the starter. So I don't know if that's yeah. changed from last week, just so, just an FYI. Uh, but when we look at Utah State, because the Rams' defense is really good. It's finally, okay, we can finally get rid of like that stupid, well, sort of like the Vanderbilt game, South Dakota State. They've moved on from that. And so what, what does Utah State bring offensively against, that can go against this Rams defense? Well, Devin Tompkins, as I mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can throw the ball pretty well. But if they struggled against – no, not if. Like when they struggled or, or as they struggled, I should say, versus, versus UNLV, I know the running game is different because CSU's running game is not as good as Charles Williams because they have – what Bailey back, David Bailey back there, and technically it's listed as alphabetical when you look at their depth chart with Jalen Thompson and A. John Vivens. But yeah. Bailey was okay. So I'm just, it's just trying to, I don't know, I'm just trying to figure things out here with what, what this team can do. But we look at both sides here. But 
See, what's, what's, I, really, I, I, what's really confusing because the Rams have been changing so much. I'm like, I don't know what to make of them sometimes. <laughs> That's what I'm like. Yeah, so, okay, so here's here's the thing. Even despite the early struggles, like, you know, despite getting, you know, embarrassed a couple times early in non-conference play, the Rams are, they're a top 10 team in terms of like line yards per carry. So they're great defending the run, but they're also really good at rushing the passer too. Like they're 16th in terms of team sack rate, 9.5%. You know, and I'm I'm starting to wonder if maybe we're not talking enough about, you know, Scott Patchett as a potential defensive player of the year candidate. Like he hasn't had to do it himself, but like he's having a really great season. And also he's getting a lot of help from the guys around him. But what's really interesting to me is like, you know, because the front seven is getting like a ton of pressure and creating a ton of havoc, it's sort of let the secondary off the hook just a touch. Because, you know, on, on the one hand, they're only allowing, you know, 6.3 yards per attempt. They're only allowing a 56% completion rate. But I wasn't aware of this until I was, you know, digging into the matchup. Colorado State is also dead last in the conference in terms of passes defended. Interesting. Which is interesting. And, and maybe some of that has to do with the fact that no team, like I think only Wyoming has faced fewer passes. And, you know, maybe that's some of that has to do with, you know, only playing six games rather than seven games like other teams, but they aren't seeing as many passes relative to a lot of other teams in the conference, but they also aren't getting their hands on the ball quite as often as you might expect, you know, considering how good the defense has been as a unit. And so what I'm wondering is like, you know, we're so used to seeing Tompkins stretch the field, but what what are they going to do to be able to kind of get rid of the ball quickly and maybe, you know, try and neutralize um, you know, what has been a, a very aggressive and a very effective Colorado State front. Like, do we start seeing more of the running backs out of the backfield catching screen passes? You know, do they run like, you know, middle screens to tar- Carson Terrell? Do they, you know, run, you know, quick outs or quick slants to, to Tompkins or, or Derek Wright or someone else? You know, I they're going to have to because they only have 19. You have to, yeah, I was going to say, you have to wonder whether they're going to have to take a different tack in order to get the ball out quickly against the defense that could eat them alive if they don't. Because out of the tight ends and running backs, 19 of their 137 receptions. So they're not And, and, and especially especially coming off of last week where they gave up so many sacks and so many TFLs. Um, and and I don't know how much that has to do with you know them them missing their starting center, Philip Pulealo, where they had to go back to they had to go back to their original starting center, uh Chandler Dolphin, who started the first two games of the year, started last week against the Rebels. But they gave up a lot of ground in that game before making it all back up. And so, you know, to to kind of allude a little bit to a question that was posed to us about the podcast about whether Utah State has the capacity to kind of keep up what they've been doing recently, as far as like getting off to slow starts, rallying, and you know, it was, like the question was just, uh, you know, is it possible for them to run the table in the Mountain Division? No, maybe. No, they're not. Like, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not gonna discount it. But if they keep if they keep trying to win the way that they are, it's going to be a very tough road to hoe, and you know that question might be moot as soon as this Friday. I'll eat a shoe if they go undefeated in the conference play. Come on, they're not going to go undefeated in the Mountain West play and Mountain Mountain Division play. No, it's not going to happen. Come on. I'm just saying if they can figure out the Rams defense, I think it's going to start by getting rid of the ball quickly. And finding ways to, you know, get the if Tompkins is neutralized as a downfield threat, finding ways to get the ball to other guys with space to to kind of see how well they can do against uh, the Rams secondary in particular. Here's one thing about this game: I don't know if Santeo can do it back to back weeks. I'm still a 
he's already done it back to back weeks. What did he do the week before then? What, what am I missing here? What did I forget? Or what am I blanking, he had, he had, blacking he out? Pretty, he had a pretty solid game against the Spartans. I'm checking right now because I don't believe you, but I probably should believe you. Um, he <laughs> come fine, 238 yards. Oh, that's Vanderbilt. You should, you should have believed. Me. I mean, for for, sorry, for I what looked... the Rams were doing, yeah, he's, <laughs> okay. he's been he's been coming on very strong. No, you're sorry. I looked at it was backwards on here. 82 percent completion rate's pretty good. I was just uh, I just wasn't trusting Tatsun Teo. So never mind. I might play. It's going to make. I remember. I know New Mexico. He, did well against New Mexico and then, but it's New Mexico, but San Jose State against their defense completing 82%. For him, that is good because, like you said, the weeks before, he was even over 150 yards one week and 110 the week before. Iowa, whatever, but Toledo still. So he is getting better, but I was going to make yeah. some point. Like my point's moot now because for some reason I didn't think he played whatever. I didn't, I just misplaced or mislooked at the Spartans game about how well he did. He got sacked four times last week versus New Mexico, but they have good players on there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I think you know one thing to keep in mind, and I think this is maybe more true of, of Bonner versus the versus the Rams defense than it is of Centeo against this Aggies defense. But I think it is worth keeping in mind that, like you know, in terms of points per drive, you know, you look at like you know offense. I think I don't know what the exact term for it is, but like for drives that start between the twenty and the forty, which is the majority of drives that most teams yeah. come down to. Um, you know, for Colorado State, like, do you realize that, that I think they're number one in terms of how many points per drive they allow on in those situations? Oh, I did not know that. Point zero zero point three seven mm. points allowed per drive on when you know, when opponents are starting between the twenty and the forty, and Utah State hasn't been bad in that regard. You know, in those exact same situations on offense, you know, Bonner and company, they're they're 47th nationally, 2.33 points per drive. Not bad, but they're going to need every bit of it that they can get against the Rams defense that's been, you know, pretty much lethal in those situations. So with speaking of Utah State, the reason I can lean toward taking them because they have a uh, more balanced attack than the Rams a little bit, I would say, because the Rams running game has been – it's been up or down. Injuries, a few things here and there. But Calvin Tyler, it's good running back. And Tompkins, so maybe, like you mentioned, the rush, like the Rams getting to backfield, maybe not, not. Maybe they don't have to do as they'll need to, but like you mentioned screen passes or quick quick passes to the wide receiver or something like that. Maybe get Calvin Tyler in like a counter play or just running him as well. Because, heck, if you run it well enough, they're going to have to respect that. Then that could open up some sort of passing, you would think. And so it may not necessarily be like you mentioned. They don't throw the running backs and tight ends very often in Utah State. But if if Tyler can run pretty well, that may not matter. You may not have to throw those short passes. And like you mentioned, between those yardage where most of play happens anyways in the game. If I'm looking at Utah State to win, I'm pretty sure Bonner's going to play most of the game because there's always the lingering injury type of deal because they've had that all year. I it's weird to say. I'm not going to say this, but I think there's enough weapon. Both teams have this because with Dante Wright, what he can do, McBride. In the running game for the Rams, it's okay. I want to, I think, maybe I'm wrong in here, but I think the Utah State's offense has more potential to be better. Not that it will be, just because they can run the ball well, and they have Devin Tompkins, who's probably like the top two or three receivers in the conference. But like you said, the yeah, Rams I mean, it's it's a it's a really fascinating game for a number of reasons, you know, and especially when you sort of like dig into the numbers in this game. Like one thing that one last thing, maybe, and then we can talk about the the projections. Mm-hmm. Like what's interesting to me about both of these offenses, which to me seems like it could be a very critical turning point one way or the other, 
is how well are they going to be able to avoid third downs? And the trick to that is that neither of them have necessarily been good at avoiding third downs. You know, the percentage of first downs earned on either first or second down for Colorado State, they're 107th nationally. Um, And Utah State is even worse on offense, 126th nationally. But the big difference is that when it comes to like third down success rate, especially on Utah State side of things, even though they really, really struggled on first and second down as far as moving the chains, they've been excellent about doing it on third and fourth down. There's their overall success rate at 50%, which is 22nd overall. And for the Rams defense, they're fourth by that same measure. And so I'm very interested to see, you know, how well the, the teams can just move the chains or whether, you know, both teams get bogged down. And if it comes to battle of field position, you know, which, you know, it, like on the one hand is like, is Utah State going to be able to kind of pull things together on defense? And on the other side of things, are they going to be able to move the ball if Colorado State's able to tilt things in, in their favor with, you know, we haven't even talked about Ryan Stonehouse, but like if the offense gets mm-hmm. bogged down, yeah. it still puts the, you know, I would still, <laughs> yeah. I would still trust the Rams to maybe, you know, to pin the Aggies back and force them to work their way down the field, which that's another one last thing, you know, field position is one of those things that's really worked against the Aggies all season long. Um, you know, their average starting field position on offense is 127th among 130 teams. All right. So what's the projection projection say here? Okay, so um, FEI likes Colorado State. Uh, another very slim margin, though, only 1.4 points. Um, Parker Fleming's uh, advanced stats preview also favors the Rams, 63% win probability with a win projection of roughly five points, 30 to 25 or 30 to 26. Hmm. This, yeah, FBI is basically the same thing, 50.5 for Utah or for CSU. Oh, man, this is good. This, there's a million ways this could go, go because I could see, like, Calvin Tyler's been shut down, so maybe he does nothing. I see Todd Santeo not play very well. We've seen the Rams play garbage early on. We've seen Utah State. What, look what they did against Boise State. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of different mm-hmm. reasons to say this game could be really good or two really bad teams playing against each other because they had a clunker from, like, five weeks ago, essentially, and they're bringing it back out tonight or Friday night. I'm going to go – I'm looking at my pick what I made. I think I'm going to stick with it. I'm going CSU to win. And as for score projection, it's. I think there will be more points than people think. I'm going to go 30 to 24 for the Rams. Or not – no, I guess that's under. But, no, I'll go 30-24. I think there will be – that's enough points for me, 30-24 CSU. I think it's going to be a sneaky good game. Yeah. But I like the Rams in this one too. Uh, I like them to win and cover. I'm, I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring, though. I think it's going to be something like t- like 27 to 17. Okay. On to Saturday. 1.30 Mountain Time, 12.30 Pacific. Wyoming hosting New Mexico. It is on, um, shoot, this is a stadium game, correct? Yeah, yes, it is. Okay. 20 points. Can Wyoming score 20 points? Uh, that's an excellent question. When I saw this line, I'm like, um, no, like not that New Mexico is anything to brag home about, especially if Terry Wilson doesn't play, but they're not, I don't, Wyoming hasn't played very well the past two weeks. They've only scored 14 points in two games. They only scored 24 versus UConn. They've been averaging what, um, 13 points a game. If my math is right, since the UConn, since they put up a lot of points versus ball and NIU. 
So the past three weeks, they've been down, trending downward quite a bit. But the Mexico might cure all that just because it's Lobos. <laughs> Sorry, but that might be the case. Like maybe the passing game, Sean Chambers gets figured out. Maybe Craig Bull, it's like, oh, yeah, maybe we will run. You know, Xavier Valley is one of the best backs in the conference who's last week his load share was just weird and unique and different and not the norm. Mm-hmm. But I don't see how New Mexico can do enough. Like, I don't see there being enough. I'm pretty sure Wyoming's going to make some changes, what to do. And it's like not to say, oh, it's just New Mexico, that's who they're playing. But the, remember, Wyoming still has a really good defense. And so even if Terry Wilson goes out there, when you look at what, what Wyoming can do, like they're still one of the better conference teams, like in yards per play allowed. They're at the top there. They don't give up many yards. You have Chad Muma. Pick six, maybe. Like, you know what I mean? You never know if he'll get an interception. They get to the quarterback, and Lobos are just like, they're just in a complete mess right now. They're not doing anything well. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I think the the way the Lobos hang around in this game is if Wyoming can just, you know, if they keep shooting themselves in the foot, it's going to be a much different game than if Wyoming can get its act together. And I know that Craig Bowl talked about potentially making a change at quarterback this week. They played Levi Williams last week, so. If you were in his situation, what would you do? Would you stick with Chambers, or would you make a switch to Levi Williams? I still say give the ball to Xavier Valley more, first and foremost. But <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that's your best key to win, right? Like, um, you're playing New Mexico, so why not go? I just, why not throw Williams out there and see what happens? Like, it's not going to be worse if you play Chambers, but he hasn't been playing well the past two games. It was close. The battle was close in spring and fall camp. We've seen Williams be a starter before. So why not give him a chance versus a team you can probably win who, regardless, is a quarterback? And if he's stumbling or whatever, just go back to Chambers. But why not give Williams at least the first half? I mean, I mean, do, do you do you just give him a chunk of time to play, or do you like rotate, or what do you do? I don't. I would rotating stupid. However, here's two ways you can think about it. If say you're playing in Mexico, you're probably your favorite to win. So here's two <clears throat> two ways you can look at it. Get Sean Chambers out there and give him all the confidence in the world going up against a. I know you got Joey Noble over there, but they don't have much behind besides him. But this could be a game where no, I'm sticking going back to my starter. He'll have a good game. He'll have confidence going forward when we play t- more difficult teams. Or well, it's it's the thing is it's a win win. It, I don't know it's a win win, but like that's the thing. Like whoever's at quarterback is going to play well, right against his defense. So do you want to have your give confidence to your starter, give him a game to play well? Or, hey, well, Levi, you played last week. You played not great, but you only played a little bit. Here's a chance to go out there and show us what you got. But then again, it's you show us what you got, you're going to play well against Mexico, and I don't think it moves forward or separates or makes any progression or whatever adjective you want to use about who's going to be starting the week after. They're going to win regardless. All I want to see is whoever's at quarterback plays well. So I might go to Williams just because Chambers had more than – it's not like a one-game thing. He's had a couple games of not being that all that great. So go with Williams. You know he's going to play well. And if he is playing well at big, put Chambers back in there for half and see if he can do the same thing. Maybe that, but don't go back and forth because you look over your shoulder. Oh, I threw a pick or I fumbled or I missed a receiver. Give them a first half and a second half or something like that just to see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I mean, I think the only problem with that is like, yeah, yeah. Like some of New Mexico's numbers may be inflated a little bit just because Joey Noble has been. You know, dominant for stretches seemingly every week you know so you you look at some of the more advanced numbers and you think okay well they're right outside the top 25 and as far as line yards a lot per carry um you know they're above average by opportunity rate power success rate stuff rate 
And you know, Noble, of course, is the biggest reason for all of that. But then also, like, you know, the rest of that front six in particular, like it's not their chopped liver. You know, Ray Lutelli, like who maybe we haven't talked enough about him. He's been sort of a, a quiet up and coming, you know, contributor in his own right. You know, he has five and a half TFLs in seven games. And that in itself would have been more than I think, you know, any New Mexico defender had in their last full season two years ago. So, you know, he's coming on strong. Um, you know, say Riley, you know, another sophomore is coming on strong a little bit. So, I mean, they've found some young playmakers who have started to come up and contribute a little bit. And I think, you know, you say, okay, well, whoever the quarterback is, you know, just hand off to Valaday and Sweat and call it a day. And if this defense can play up its potential, I don't know if it's that simple. Not and not just because of Noble. I think it's like a it's an okay defense as far as defending the run, which makes me think that they need to get more than they've been getting through the passing game in order to have any in order to have a chance of putting this game away comfortably the way that everybody expects them to. Yeah, that's even a decent passing game, right? <laughs> like yeah. give me give me seven of twelve for one fifty and I'll be happy, right? Don't give me six of twenty-four and a pick of ninety-six yards. Mm-hmm. So I this is a game where this is where he's going to get back and play fine, and we'll be like, oh, they're doing well, they're doing good, they're moving on. They were undefeated. They ended their two-game losing streak, but I'm not going to buy them because for a couple weeks because they got New Mexico, should win. They go to San Jose State, probably win. CSU, like their last three, four games are tough. CSU, Boise, Utah State, and Hawaii. So give me a couple weeks before I'm really back on the Wyoming bandwagon, but I think they'll win. It won't be – They'll win comfortably, but they're not going to win by 20 points. Mm-hmm. So what does the FEI say for this one? So uh, FEI likes the Cowboys. This one's actually a pretty comfortable 17.3% projection. Uh, and then as far as Parker Fleming's preview, he <laughs> favors uh, favors Wyoming by, with a 95% win probability. Okay, sounds about right. <laughs> uh, pro- projected final margin of roughly 30 to 7. 30 to 7. What do you say then? Um, I, I think it's probably gonna be a little bit of a sleepier game than that. I think Wyoming's gonna win. I think the Lobos will cover. I'm gonna say 24 to seven. I'm going 20 to 10 Wyoming. Right, <laughs> Low scoring. Take the under. All right. Aztecs at Air Force, CBS Sports Network, four Pacific, five Mountain Time. Number 22, San Diego State was undefeated. Air Force, who is not, they are sitting at what, six and one right now? Air Force, mm-hmm. three and a half point favorite, 40 point over under. Holy crap. Um, I got my wish, man. Lucas Johnson starting quarterback. That's right. It's about time, right? Are you feeling vindicated? Heck yeah. He should have been starting. <laughs> he should have been telling you that half in Nevada, I don't care. That was the best they've had a quarterback since Ryan Lindley played. Just saying. Even though it was different on the ground, running and moving the ball differently. I'm not sure if they'll win, but I think he gives them the best chance being a dual threat, a whether it's rolling out or actually specifically running himself. Because this one, I don't know, man. I, I My pick in the doc, you see, it might be changing because I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do here. But Air Force has maybe, like I put out the like, kind of, I don't know if it's overreaction, but if you say Brad Roberts is player of the year, it's a bit of a reach just because there's only been three times this decade or since 2010 that the player of the year has been a running back or non-quarterback, which they all came from Aztecs with Richard Penny and Donald Pumphrey. 
Um, I forget who won twice. I think Pumphrey did. But regardless, quarterback usually wins on the best team. Aztecs got to be disciplined when they're playing against this rush defense because they'll get the yards regardless. Like for however good Aztecs rush defense and defense overall is, which it is good, Air Force is still going to move the ball, whether it be Micah Davis, Brad Roberts, Hazeke Daniels. But I think the way they're going to win this one, Air Force, is what Micah Davis can do because whether he's downfield catching the ball – or he's getting those jet sweeps and part of the triple option game. Like he's a guy who he's almost like if you remember years ago, like Chad Hall back in like late nineties, he went to the Eagles. And he was a I think he was also a player of the year in the Mountain West as a Z back, whatever you want to call it, just a receiver type guy who'd get a lot of hands off. Hand mm-hmm. or hand hand what's the proper term? Runs the ball, I guess. <laughs> Trying to think of the right term. But, yeah, yeah. I get what but like a receiver like Micah Davis is a guy that can do multiple things. Like he gets the ball in many ways. Like he has four touchdowns on the ground. And he gets what six? Uh, t- he has fifty yards a game and six carries a game. Essentially, that's his average. Eight yards a carry, eight, eight yards he touches the ball. He gets or every time he runs the ball, technically that leads the Mountain West Conference for eligible players and rushing yards per game or per excuse me per play. He has that. He can catch the ball like we've seen a little bit downfield element with his twenty-two yards catch yards per catch. He also um, does he return kicks too? No, the oh, whatever. That was one game. Never mind. I think he thought he did something else on there, but. He's basically a multifaceted guy, and he's not the guy the Aztecs need to shut down. But if he has a game of say a hundred total yards, Aztecs are in trouble. I mean, honestly, I, <laughs> maybe seventy-five because a hundred is kind of a lot for him. I mean, honestly, if I'm the Falcons, I just keep doing exactly what I've been doing. I don't, I, don't like, shy, I don't shy away from it, even though, like, and, and, you know, this is probably obvious to everybody who's been watching Mountain West football this year, but it, this game is really going to come down to which team stops the run. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> and, Simple, and, yes. and, that, and that's not, and that's not <laughs> just because, you know, you're talking, you know, the Aztecs, of course, are, are number one in the, in the conference as far as, you know, yards per carry allowed, um, not sack adjusted, but, you know, 2.1 yards per carry allowed. Uh, Air Force is number three. 3.4 yards uh, yards per carry allowed. Uh, and oh, by the way, they're also one and two in terms of like rushing offense as well. And so, you know, I think if I'm Air Force, I'm not necessarily looking for a lot of trickeration. I'm not necessarily looking to try to use uh, Davis to beat the Aztecs to the edges because I think it's pretty clear that like the Aztecs, especially, and I mean, especially like their linebackers have been playing ex- exceptionally well this year. And, and not just in terms of like, you know, creating havoc or anything like that. Like Michael Shawcroft has really come on strong this year. Um, and they, you know, they managed to find other guys who've stepped up and contributed you know, as well. You know, Sefo Mailangi has really come on strong. We have, I think that's probably the first time we mentioned his name. And so I think for, for both sides, it's not necessarily about getting into the backfield and getting a lot of stops. It's about limiting big plays. And I think, you know, for, for me in particular, I look at like, you know, opportunity rate in particular. You know, how often are teams getting to the second level against these two teams? The Aztecs on defense, you know, 60%, you know, or excuse me, 45% opportunity rate allowed, which is 55th in the country. By contrast, Air Force on defense, which we'll talk more about that in a minute, you know, 43.5%. So not a lot of difference in that. And so I think, you know, whichever team can get the upper hand, whichever offensive line get the upper hand, is going to have a potentially huge advantage in this game. Yeah, 
and going back to what you said at the beginning, I'm not saying they need to give Micah Davis the ball a lot in trick creation, but like if he gets going, he's just another element to help them out downfield or move the ball different yeah. ways. Because I think the Aztecs will have success slowing down Roberts and Daniels a bit, but Davis just gives them a different element. Because even if they don't even give him the ball, like he goes in motion and he's just the he always runs wide and never touches the ball. It's always a fullback dive, or it's a you know, I mean just a, some sort of running play from Daniels. Having mm-hmm. him be the threat of potentially getting the ball that way is there is there because they need to be aware of where he is. So he he doesn't need to necessarily touch the ball, get all his yards. It'd be nice to be a huge bonus. He will get yards. He'll get handful of carries a game. But if he just if he's always in motion and potentially to keep an eye on, that's going to be a defender where you don't want to go off your one one v one in this football mm-hmm. game for the academy. But if some guy if you have to put extra focus on him and know he's a really big threat. That just kind of not that's mind games. Like, all right, he can get the ball at any moment and have a pretty big yeah. play. And so it's and like, I, mean, I, th- it's a thing. I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, Air Force can't shy away from what makes no, them no, work. no, no, and no. what and what makes them work is efficiency. And so, so like, I look at the fact, and you, know, I think EPA per rush is maybe you know one telling sign of this. You know, the Air Force offense is 18th by that metric. San Diego State's number one on defense. Um, so, I mean, it seems like, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a strength on strength matchup and it sort of bears itself out no matter how you slice it, no matter what kind of numbers you look at. But one thing I thought was really interesting was I was looking at, um, you know, drive yards per play, which is basically just like, um, I'm trying to think of a, 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 an easy way to explain this. So it's basically like the, the difference between starting field position and ending field position on any given possession. So like, if you average four yards per play, yeah. like that's one, that's one way of measuring success. Um, and that's, I think a, a, an effective way to measure efficiency or, you know, the, the amount of drives, the percentage of drives that, you know, average seven yards per play or the amount of drives that average 10 yards per play. So it's sort of a way of both examining efficiency and explosiveness. And if you want to read more, you can, you, know, you can go to bcftoys.com and learn a little more, get the more formal definition. But one thing that both of these teams have in common is that when it comes to limiting efficiency, they've been top-notch. So like when you look at uh, you know, the, the drive yards per play sorted by um, four yards per play allowed, right? Mm, so yeah. I think, I'm hoping, I'm hoping yeah. that that's pretty straightforward. Yes, it is. So the Aztecs are second in that regard on defense. Air Force, Air Force is seventh. Hmm. So basically, so basically with you know, San Diego State is allowing four yards per play on only 26% of its drives. That's more or less what that metric is saying. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. The big difference between the two teams is on offense, though, because if you sort by that same metric on offense, Air Force is 52nd nationally. So so good, but not great. And, you know, you might think that San Diego State's a little bit better than they have, you know, you know with Greg Bell and everybody in the backfield. Yeah. They're a hundredth. Hmm. And so I think if I'm Air Force and I see that I have that advantage and efficiency, even if it's not always going to work out for me, I'm going to trust that my defense can do its job to limit Greg Bell and force the quarterback, Lucas Johnson, to make plays for me. That's where I come in and say he's going to make plays, I think, maybe. Um, maybe, no, may, maybe I like I like them a lot. The one thing about San Diego State is that they last week's game just puts a bad taste in my mouth. Nineteen to thirteen, double overtime. 
Greg Bell did bad. They defense did their thing, but the offense was just non-existent. And I get Spartans' defense is good, but Air Force's defense is pretty good as well. You know what I mean? Like they're no slouch. Yes, they are. And so Greg Bell is as long as long run last week was only six yards. He had forty-one yards, two point two a carry. He wasn't. Even, he didn't even go off for like a twenty-yarder. There, that was garbage. He was not efficient at all. Jordan Bird didn't run the ball very well. Like Johnson came in, got the touchdowns, and he can move on the ground a bit. But I don't. Like, you're playing another defense that's really good. He came in, pumped up overtime, amped up to go, but now he's going to have the whole game to get going, not just running in there, I'm going to play and make a big play with all the adrenaline pumping around. Mm-hmm. I think he'll make plays, but I think Air Force, I don't know, it's tough, man, because Aztecs are undefeated. Because here's the thing, I want I want an undefeated Mountain West team to keep going. I'm not going to pick them to win just because I want them to be 7-0 after this game, which would be awesome and great. I just think Air Force has – enough on offense to kind of do things to move around a little bit. And the defense is good enough to slow down San Diego State. Like if the Aztecs, if Greg Bell has a bad game, Lucas Johnson can't win this for them. He, the reason I think it's a good move, he's a compliment to him to help them potentially win games with his feet and we'll see what he can throw in the air. I know there's Matt, Jesse Matthews and all that. He can catch the ball pretty well. Got, what, he got both touchdowns last week, I believe it was, for um, mm-hmm. for them. Yes, or yeah. I think it was, yeah. My, I'm looking at looking at the wrong team. Yeah, Jesse Matthews. Four yeah, coaches. I get what you're saying. But I think Air Force, when you look all around what can be done, they have a better running attack. Defense is probably even. And I'm looking at a passer. I know Hazik Daniels is a different type of passer. Maybe he's better than Lucas Johnson. I don't know. He can at least make plays and move the offense better, which is, dude, I think, I don't know, man. I'm leaning Air Force for this one because it's going to be – also, if you want to go to the game, Matt, it's only seventeen dollars to go. If you're interested, tickets only, not flight included, just or drive, just tickets. Yeah, I figured, I figured. <laughs> seventeen bucks, but uh, I, I think what's going to come down to is Lucas Johnson, what he can do on San Diego State's offense, passing the ball. If he can pass the ball pretty well, Aztecs have a good chance to win. But I think Air Force, they're like I said, equal defense. The offense, I don't know, I don't. I trust Air Force offense more, but it's so different. It's hard to say they're better, which I think they are better, but quantifiably it's hard to say, oh, they're better because they have a better quarterback. Well, their quarterback's different. They, you know what I mean? That's a little bit different mm-hmm. those type of ways when you watch what Daniels, does he, is he going to get 20 carries on this game? And then you have Roberts with 20, Micah Davis with 10, and then like four others get three. Probably, but I, I don't know. It's home field for Air Force. Aztecs are coming off a bad game. I don't know, man. I'm, I think I'm leading the Air Force here, I think. So uh, you at least have the advanced metrics on your side. Um, yes. FBI, FBI <laughs> favors the favors the Falcons by uh, 9.9. Ooh, that's a lot. And uh, and, and Parker Fleming's uh, preview also favors the Falcons. 67.7% win probability, uh, projected margin of roughly 23 to 17. Hmm. FPI is 55% for Air Force, just in case you want one more piece of information out there. Okay. Um, here's one stat to look at. Do you do you know in front of you how many yards per game San Diego State's allowing? Just in general? Yeah. Yards per game? Yeah. No, I don't. 61. 
Air Force goes for like what three hundred a game or something. They're going up. Oh, you talking about, are you talking about rushing yards per, per yeah, game? Yeah, wow, defensively. Oh, you said total yards per game. Oh, sorry. I was uh, like, oh no, sorry, <laughs> I was no. like, I know it's a little more than sixty. <laughs> sorry, I thought you said rushing yards. Oh, my bad. No, th- that's what difference is going to be both sides essentially because I think that's the key stat. Air Force gives up ninety one, Aztecs sixty one, Aztecs run for two fifteen, Air Force three thirty six. I think okay. that's going to be the biggest difference in this game. Whoever can break through and run the ball a bit better, and odds are that favors Air Force for quantity and basically how the running attack goes, which is why I'm going with Air Force to win. So I'm going to take the Aztecs. Ooh. And I think it's because Wyoming sort of provided the blueprint. You know, when you look at what Air Force has done, and they have been they have been very efficient on, you know, with, with what they want to do. You know, we've talked about it every single week. But the Cowboys held them in check a couple weeks ago, and you can't ignore that. And there is basically no doubt that the Aztecs are the best defense that this Falcons offense has faced all year long. So even if the offense scuffles here and there, I do kind of think that Lucas Johnson will make enough plays in order to get it done. I don't think it's going to be the prettiest game in the world. I think it's going to be like a knockdown, drag him out fight. Um, what's the spread in this game now? Three and a half Air Force, 40 over well, I, guess would, I guess it wouldn't matter if I'm taking the Aztecs, right? It does not matter, no. I think the Aztecs are going to win 20 to 17. Take the under big time, is that what you're saying? I guess yes. it's only three points. It's an it's an if an Aztec, if it's an Aztecs game, it's you, you gotta take the under. I'm gonna go 21-14 Air Force. All right then. Next game, same time, Nevada at Fresno State, 5 p.m. or excuse me, 4 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Mountain Time for myself. Tentatively, this game is on FS2. Do we know what the baseball situation? It's only Tuesday. So, and currently at the moment, um, looks like the Astros are going to win over the Red Sox. The reason that's important. Because if there's a game seven in the ALCS, this game FS2, if it's not, if that series is decided, and it's going to be 2-2, two to two, assuming Astros win. So maybe FS1 if there's no baseball, FS2 if there is baseball, game time does not change, just TV channel could. So keep that in mind. We'll know mm-hmm. clearly when we tweet out, post stuff, we'll note that FS1's a possibility if, there's a, if there is not a game seven. But yeah. Fresno State's a three-point home favorite. This is the game where 65 is over-under. Do not take the under. Right? <laughs> is there a reason to take the under in this game with what these offenses can do? Hmm. I mean, they stump both, you? Of the de- the, both, of the, both of the defenses have been pretty good lately, though. They they've they are better, but... And Jay Kaner only threw for, what, 90-something yards last week. So that's not too, too positive, is it? Well, I mean... <sighs> That was a really strange game. It was, <laughs> but it, but it, but it, and we talked about it during the recap. Like it did sort of expose some of the things that I've been a little bit worried about with regard to this Bulldogs offense. Like the running game mm. was still not necessarily all that great, and I, I, I think they kind of need to be. Like they need to find a way to get Ronnie Rivers or Jordan Mims or whomever they want to hand the ball off to to just be a little more efficient against this Nevada front because you know for as awesome as Nevada has been about getting after the quarterback and and make no mistake they have been awesome about getting after the quarterback you know their their team sack rate is 
That's ninth among all FBS teams. But the trick is, you know, when you look at what they've done defending the run, you know, they're 123rd mm-hmm. in expected points added per rush yes. allowed. Um, you know, they're below average by a lot of those advanced metrics that I've talked about ad nauseum in this in this <laughs> podcast, you know, opportunity rate, power success rate, stuff rate. So like they've been disruptive. They can they can get after Hayner if Fresno State isn't careful, if, or even if Fresno State just wants to, you know, stand back and play its game and leave it the pass. Yeah. Like that seems like, you know, stepping in, into the danger zone a little bit with how well Nevada's defensive line is played. But, you know, considering the Wolfpack are triple digits by, you know, all of those rushing metrics that I just mentioned, I have to think they've got to at least try a little more than they have to try and establish the run a little bit. Because you know, if they can take at least a little bit of heat off of Jake Hayner in the long run with a little bit yeah. of efficiency, I think that that could go a long way in this game. No, it totally could because when you look at but, but consider but considering how how the how the running game is you know like it's it's a it's a really a weakness on weakness matchup. You know, EPA per rush, Fresno State, like I mentioned for for a minute ago, Nevada's 123rd on defense. Yeah. Fresno State's 125th on offense. So neither of these teams have necessarily done particularly well on that front. Yeah, so I was just gonna think, say who's gonna be the who's gonna I don't know what the right term is, but who's gonna break through. So, deep- so, so, so it makes for a really interesting kind of guessing game for what Ryan Grubb is going to do. Are they going to look at their overall game plan from the last few weeks and say, okay, yeah, we're going to stick with what we can do. We're going to spread the ball around. We're going to rely on our you know, all-conference caliber quarterback. Or are they going to say, you know, okay, well, let's try and protect him a little bit more because we, we know he's still not 100%. Let's try and get the ground game going and try and keep this Wolfpack air raid off the field a little bit more. It's It's... It's. I think there's plenty of potential for second guessing either way. It's interesting because we look at Nevada's past three rushing defensive games. If you, if they Hawaii six and a half yards per carry. Mm-hmm. New Mexico State, whatever I care about them, point nine three zero point nine three less than a yard. Boise State less than a yard. But then it's also yeah. then that Kansas State game's like which team is it because exactly it's hard to decide maybe they're they are averaging but cal five five point six seven idaho state fcs team three three point three so it's they've been wildly inconsistent in rush defense and so and and that to me is the number one question on either side for this game is ronnie rivers going to be like deuce vaughn or daddy hunter Mm -hmm. or is he going to be more like or whoever was running the ball for boise that week yeah because you know Hawaii hurt them early with the ground answer. game last week. I can't Don't answer. forget. Yeah, before Hunter got hurt. Yeah, he had a hundred plus lot of yards, hundred seventy or something. I want to say, quite a bit. Yes. So that this might be the case. Here's the thing: that this matchup, it's not the sexy matchup because we want to see you want to see River or not Rivers, but um, like Kane or the Cropper or or Dubs catching the deep ball from Kershaw Strong. That's what we want to see, which yeah. will happen. But the difference will be. What does Fresno State do on running the ball in first and 10? Is it third and eight or is it third and four? Is mm-hmm. it second and 12 or second and six? I think that'll possibly is the underrated matchup that's going to really decide the game and not them chucking the ball downfield 50-something yards to these guys or Ty Jones catching a pass or Cole Turner catching something or, you know what I mean, like his fade pass or somebody doing – or Toa Tau. Like the Nevada rushing game isn't great either, but – we want to see the passing in this game. That's what the matchup's going to be hyped up, hyped up about. But yes, if Jay Kaner is dropping back fifty times, that's not good because Nevada has enough defense, especially in the passing game, with Don Peterson and others to make plays. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think conversely, like if you're looking at the Wolfpack offense, I think they're probably a little less tempted to switch things up. And, and you know, because when you have someone like Carson Strong in the backfield and considering the way he's played since that Kansas State game, mm-hmm. you know, it seems to me like, you know, why, you know, what, why try to fix what's not broken, essentially, which, you know, is not to say that Princeton State's going to just sit back and let them walk all over him. Like he's still going to have to contend with what has been a very strong Bulldogs pass rush. Yeah. You know, we just talked about it a minute ago with, you know, Nevada really putting forth a team effort for a top 10 kind of pass rush. Um, but, you know, let's not forget the Bulldogs are still 26th overall by that same sack rate measure as well. You know, 8.3%. That's been a lot of a team effort as well. But I think one small but potentially significant thing to keep in mind in this game is that a lot of that sack rate is owed by how well they've done in more obvious passing situations. So when you split that sack rate down by standard downs versus passing downs, and a standard down is basically like, you know, first and 10 or something like that. Yeah. I think there's, you know, it's, um, you know, first down, second and seven or fewer, third and four or fewer, um, forward and four, uh, fourth and four or fewer. So like that's your definition of standard downs. Fresno State's 70th. Mm. You know, 5.2%, which is, you know, it's not terrible, but it's not great. Uh, conversely, on passing downs, that number doubles to 11.7%, you know, which is which 20th overall. Yeah. And so I think if I'm Nevada, I come out swinging, especially on early downs. And I take my chances on trying to just move the chains earlier on, on you know, and on first and second down. Because one of the, one of the things that surprisingly, that you, you, it's not something you would think of, but the number, the percentage of first downs that they've been able to earn on first and second down, only fifty eight point five percent, which is one hundred and twenty fourth hmm. in the FBS. And so you're sort of playing a potentially dangerous game because Fresno State's been pretty good at limiting those same first downs early on early down situations. But you know, by virtue of the fact that Nevada is also twentieth in terms of third and fourth down success, you know, Jay Norvell has shown that he's willing to be aggressive you know, you know, willing to ex- try to extend a drive on fourth down and, you know, their overall success rate is 50%. That's 20th. And against the Bulldogs defense, the 30th on defense, you know, it's, it's sort of makes for a really fascinating chess match where, you know, it's really easy to envision that they're just going to come out swinging and, and Carson Strong is going to throw the ball another 40 or 45 times. But how well is the Bulldogs defense going to respond to it? Because I think, you know, there's, there, there's a scenario where you know strong is hitting the right man and the bulldogs are getting frustrated but there's another scenario where they get bogged down and they're getting their hands on footballs and you know they're forcing if not three and outs then maybe like four and outs or something like that Mm. and so i think you know if if i'm nevada i'm not necessarily tempted to do anything much different than what i've been doing but i'm also expecting that it's giving more of a challenge than it's been in, in recent weeks as well just in terms of like you know dealing with the pass rush and things like that, could be. But also one difference in this game might be the Nevada actual rushing game, which could change that a little bit for what Fresno State's doing defensively, mm-hmm. because they're. I think it's fair to say they're close in the same neighborhood of Ronnie Rivers. Like Toa Talis had good games and bad games, so it's not like he's a consistent back out there. So I think that mm-hmm. might be able to offset that Fresno pass defense you mentioned, like what Carson Strong is going to throw in the ball. So I'm wondering if Toatau could be the person who maybe that's a different yeah. game. There's and a I, and I think that's a, I think that's a fair point because 
you know, interestingly, like I, I didn't realize until I, I literally looked at it just now. <laughs> Nevada is running the ball way less than anybody else in the conference so far. And I always think of them as being a team. And especially, I think this was more true last year than maybe it has been this year as a team that leans on the pass to get ahead early and then salts the game away late. And we, and we've seen it a couple times. I think you know, most prominently against Boise state where Toa had a few big runs, especially in the second half mm-hmm. to kind of help keep the Broncos at arm's length. But you know, they're and, and I think that, you know, obviously this accounts for sacks as well, but you know, they're only running the ball as a team 26 times a game. And I think, you know, what they need to prove they can do is if they get a lead, they need Tawa to look more like he did against Boise State than he has been, you know, otherwise. Like he's he's averaging six carry, you know, six yard yeah. carry, which is good, but he's had a lot of big runs, which skews that a little bit. And he's only averaging uh you know 10 carries per game. Like last week was his first game of the year with 20 20 carries, 21 carries, actually. Hmm. He's only had three games where he's had more than 10 10 rushing attempts which is sort of a surprise, but I think they're going to need every bit that he can give him, especially if they can get a lead. Oh yeah, clearly. Yes. <laughs> That's the point. But, but I, but I also think that too is easier said than done because as we just talked about, the Bulldogs defense is is stingy in its own right. So like what's, I don't know. I think the difference is going to be, I think it's a running game on each side. Kind of like we mentioned, yeah. the, like the running attack on Fresno might be more hype. High profile, not high profile, but uh, that's what we want to look at more. Fresno's offense line versus that defensive line that Nevada has, because it's like the Kansas State game almost. Like I think Nevada can run the ball well enough, but I really think it's going to be can Fresno or if whatever whatever side drawn, but Fresno runs the ball or Nevada stops the run. I think Nevada running the ball will be reasonably well enough, but I think it's really going to be that Fresno offense of line versus Nevada defensive line for the difference because Rivers. He's a good athlete, a good player, but he's just not like we've seen him. He's not what we thought he would be from last year. And so that's where it's like if he has a game what's even close to what he we think he could be or what he's done in the past, they should win. But I can't trust him to say that that's going to be the matchup that makes a difference and then throwing a little bit of Toa running the ball for Nevada because if they can run good enough, like I know they're throwing more, but if he gets going a little bit, what regardless of when it is, because like I said before, they had throw a lot, then run, run, run with him at the end of the game. Yeah, but yeah. now – if it's they still have to throw because Fresno defense can stop that passing game or make plays, you'd rather hand the ball off to a competent running back so if that gets going. That's where I think Nevada can get it done if they run well enough and then or and then stop Fresno. It's stupid. It's cliche and easy to say, but I think they'll need Toatel to run pretty well to get the win. Not great, but above average. See, I think that, you know another big thing which we haven't really touched upon yet is that. You know, is, is Fresno State going to take care of the ball too? Because we've, we've seen we've seen we've seen the extreme Hawaii in in the, in the last two weeks. You know, we saw them basically throw the game away against Hawaii, and then we saw them basically you know take the game away against Wyoming with five takeaways. And you know, while all that's been going on, Nevada has been the one team in the conference that takes the care of the ball better than anybody. You know, they're number one with you know with a plus nine turnover margin. Uh, and a lot of that has to owe to the fact that, you know, Carson Strong only three interceptions, despite nearly throwing, you know, three, 250 pass attempts, you know, 1.2% interception rate, which is, you know, pretty good. Um, but even with the running game, even with Strong throwing as much, they only have four fumbles as well. And they haven't lost any of them, which is even more interesting. 
that's lucky, right? Fumble luck, I guess. Is that what we're getting? Fumble at? luck, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a thing. And so, and so, and that's something that is also snake bit for State a little bit here and there this year, too. You know, Nevada is 0 for 4 as far as like losing fumbles. Um, Fresno State is 8 of 11 losing fumbles. Hmm. You know, so, so I, and I think, you know, the 11 is the really telling thing. Like they put the ball on the turf a lot this year. And so I think between that and between, you know, Hainer's, you know, critical mistakes, especially in the Hawaii game, which I think maybe, you know, paints a, a, a not entirely fair picture. But I think it's something we're paying attention to because I think he's going to need to be as sharp, as strong, as proven himself to be week in and week out if Fresno State's going to win this game. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm saying overall. So what's the number say? So um, FEI, they like Fresno State um, by a very slim 3.3 points. Uh, Parker Fleming's advanced preview likes the Bulldogs, though, with a 60% win probability. And uh, surprisingly low scoring projection, uh, 23 to 20. Really? The final margin, yeah. That's like 20 points below the over-under. I guess so. 65. I, what, I'll, I'll go my pick. I think Nevada's going to win. I think there's going to be a ton of points. I think it's going to be 40 to 34 for Nevada. Yeah, I mean, I want to pick Fresno State in this game. Are you going to this game first of all? No, I think I've got something else going on that day. Mm, okay. Um, but I mean, I like the Wolfpack because I, you know, one, they have the best player on the field. Like that's not in doubt. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just I wonder about you know their ability to protect Hainer in particular because you know they've made a couple of changes on the offensive line recently. Yeah, you know, they've shuffled some guys around. You know, they they shuffled they moved you know most safe eval from left guard to right guard and and. You know, had some changes, and it's you know against Wyoming, like how well did it work, right? Yeah. Um, and and how well is it going to work against an active defensive front like Nevada's? And so, I think they'll be able to. I think it's going to be a high scoring game too. Maybe not quite as high as you, but I do think Nevada's going to be able to pull it out. I think they'll win and cover thirty eight to thirty one. Thirty to thirty one. All right. Final game of the weekend, late night, Hawaii time. Is what 6 p.m. Hawaiian. It's um, 10 Mountain, 9 Pacific, hosting New Mexico State for the uh, second time. Or not hosting second time, but they're playing for the second time this year, this time in Honolulu. Um, what's the line? Eight, oh, it's not telling me here. Is it 18 and a half points? Is that what it's sitting at? I believe so. Okay, there it is. Yes, um, 18 and a half. If you want to watch this game, it's at Hawaii. So if you're in the on the island at, in Oahu, it's on Spectrum Pay-Per-View. So I don't know how much it costs, but it's probably overpriced because that's a lame. It's a lot. It's like 70 bucks. If you're on the over here by us, not on the island, Team One Sports app. However, you can there's probably a backdoor way to do it, but you can't easily cast it to your TV. So yeah. get a tablet on your phone, not even desktop, we'll do or laptop. I think if you cast your screen and then watch it, that's a backdoor way, I think it is, because you can't just hit the little button you see in the corner where it'll toss it to your TV. But if you mm-hmm. if you share your screen to your TV, then I think you can go to the app and do it that way. So that's possibly work around work around. But uh, I know there's a Roku app, but you can't watch it on there because I've tried last year. So that's how you can watch this game. So that's a long around way of saying that um, we're not probably going to watch it. It's going to be hard to watch it, but do your best. Last time they played forty one twenty one in Las Cruces, September twenty fifth. They're also going to be about a thousand fans allowed for this game. Well, that's good. Which is good. Did you see the? Um, 
report or the study done by University of Florida? I did see you mention that, yeah. There was something on Twitter. I didn't look at it too close. I glanced over it. Basically, it's good news because some state, a lot of state interest schools are requiring negative test or vaccination to go. I don't think many are requiring masks. It depends on the area. So I know that's changed throughout the year. Some are, some aren't. But it hasn't led to like a huge spike in code, which is nice. But um, it'd be it'd be great if Hawaii could add a few more people. But I get their point because we talked about this before. You're on an island. There's nowhere to go if it does get overloaded. So this is a good start. But I think they're being a touch too cautious. But thousand fans is better than no fans. So we'll live with that, right? Mm-hmm. So is this going to be another re- blowout rematch? Twenty point victory for Hawaii, who has a um, injured running back, quarterback, not issues, but quarterback questions against the New Mexico State team who has only won one game all year. Even if Hawaii's going with backup running backs and backup quarterbacks, they should still probably win this one. I mean, you say, I mean, you would think so, but you know, New Mexico State's—they've showed some signs of life in the last few weeks, at least. Twenty-eight points versus Nevada, thirty-one versus uh, San Jose State. They they can score some points, so they're not like yeah, listless think, on offense. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know they've you know their their quarterback Jonah Johnson got off to a terrible start this year. Uh, and maybe some of that was due to the you know, quality of competition because he had a he had a really rough game against San Diego State, um, and and who hasn't really <laughs> exactly? But you know, since that Hawaii game, you know, they played San Jose State and Nevada both on the road uh, in back to back weeks earlier this month, and you know he's completed over uh, Jonah Johnson, their their quarterback, has completed over sixty percent of his passes in both of those games. He's gone over three hundred yards in both of those games. So while he hasn't been like the, it hasn't been the most explosive offense. Because, you know, even, you know, despite the step forward, he's still averaging under seven yards per attempt. Um, but he has six touchdowns and one interception in the last two games as well, which is is not nothing. And I'm not going to say it's like a red flag or anything like that for Hawaii. Because, you know, they still have a, a very talented secondary that I think is more than capable of rebounding from, you know, you know, Carson Strong having solved them to some extent last yeah. week. Um. But I think you know maybe given sort of the offensive uncertainties that the Warriors have, you know we don't really know what Siobhan Cordero's status is, uh, and Braden Shager, you know, had you know he had a few nice plays last week, but he also had a lot of freshman plays last week, especially with the four <laughs> interceptions that he threw. Yep, yep, yep. And so it, it seems like the kind of game where like if Shager gets the start under center again, and you know, has, you know, a couple of those critical mistakes, you know, is New Mexico state going to be in a position to take advantage of it where maybe early in the earlier in the year, they would have struggled to do so. Maybe, maybe, maybe (laughs) it's always maybe, right? Yeah. So with even with Johnson proving, does it matter that much? Like the scoring points? I don't know, man, this, like he still has like sacked almost 20 times this year. Like, that's a problem. Yeah, that's true. So, while he's playing better, it's there's still a reason Hawaii's favored by three to- almost three touchdowns. Like, Hawaii's defense isn't, I don't know, it's, um, there's, even with all, like, you already went through everything, even with all those issues, there's still a reason they're a huge, huge favor. Like, I don't, plus there'll be a sort of a crowd there, maybe they'll be j- jacked up a little bit, like Calvin Turner will do a few things, but there is nothing for what New Mexico State can do that I think they can go and beat Hawaii. I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's really interesting. You know, like, if, if you're not following Parker Fleming on Twitter, 
Um, <laughs> and again, his, his Twitter handle is stats of war. You can see these advanced stats preview for yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the Aggie, when you look at the Aggies, there's a lot of red. <laughs> Red's not good, FYI, if you're wondering people. <laughs> yeah, like the, the only the only thing that's blue is their early down rush rate, which is which is 35% basically. Um, and that's just because they throw the ball a lot with Johnson on the center. Yeah. Um and, and ever you know, and there's a lot of things that are in the triple digits. And so, like, yeah, there's been some improvements lately. But like, how well is that gonna hold up against the defense that's gonna be really motivated to rebound? Yeah. Against against an offense that you know is improving, but is still probably one dimensional and mistake prone. What I don't know. This game, like, are you going to stay to watch this game? Do you care about watching this? I'm going to do my best. Okay. I try and watch every game. I, me too. I'm just saying it's a late one. We'll see how the other two go. I just I've already seen this story once. It's like I don't. What's what's going to interest? What would you tell people, Matt? Round two. Let's watch this game. Not just because it's college football. Not because it's the only game going on. Is there a compelling reason to actually tune into this game? It's not the same game. What? Okay. For, for all for all the reasons you just mentioned, okay. like we don't know what's going on with the wise quarterback situation, which could make it a lot more interesting. Fair point. Okay. You know, if if Hunter is out, then how is Dedrick Parson going to step up and replace him? Probably not. You know, very or, well. or he's been he's been solid. Like yeah. he he hasn't he hasn't flashed the big playability that Hunter has, but he's been reliable. I think. Overall, <laughs> you think <laughs> you had no, no, no. I mean, I like he, like he hasn't had like a hundred yard performance or anything like that, but you know, he's been you know rock solid as far as a contributor. He's like he's he's been a fine secondary piece, but I think the trick now is like if if he's more of the lead guy, you know, are they gonna feed him in the same way that they fed Hunter over the last few weeks? Are they gonna turn around and give Calvin Turner a couple more carries? Yes, yes, they need to. <laughs> That's what you should do, guys, because you know, because they've still found ways to get Turner the ball. They've just done it more as like a 50-50 split than anything. Yeah. Like sure. they haven't really relied on him as a as a pass air, as a, rather as a pass catcher or, or running back. They've done sort of like an even amount of both. Yeah, he has eight touchdowns, six on the ground, two, but his splits, like attempts to um rushing attempts to catches are nearly identical. 39 receptions, 44 rushing attempts. Yeah. So I would prefer give it to uh, Calvin Johnson more than Parsons, who's been fine, like I said. Couple touchdowns, five yards of carry. It's the Hawaii game, rushing game. Maybe I'm just blind because I used to think they were not great and they're actually getting a little bit better right now. So that's kind of a thing too, where it's always like, oh, come on, are you going to do better? Is it all in well, Cordero? Yeah. Or and, and, and considering that, like, since the Hawaii game, yeah, like we talked about how the New Mexico State offense has improved a little bit. Uh, not, not so much for the Aggies defense either, because they gave up over eight yards of play to the Warriors the first time around. And then probably gave up over basically seven and a half yards per play against both the Spartans and the Wolfpack in the last two weeks. So not as much progress being made on that side of the ball. No. So even so, even with you know the potential limitations on on the Hawaii offense, you know is like is Shager in a position to like have his best game yet? I guess I would say. So like that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for in this game. So what's the advanced numbers say? So uh, as you might expect, you know, FEI favors Hawaii by 13.8. And uh, Parker Fleming's preview also likes the Warriors, roughly 79% win probability. Uh, Another maybe lower scoring projected game than you might expect, uh, a final projected margin of roughly 23 to 12. Hmm. What's your projection? What's your final score? So... I think New Mexico State will be able to put up some points. I think they're going to 
cover pretty easily. But I don't think they're going to win the game. I think Hawaii is going to end up with a comfortable win, somewhere in their vicinity of like 10 to 14 points, let's say. I'm going to say Warriors 35, uh, Aggies 21. That's 14 points. That we'll is, go with that. So they won't cover. Um, I think with the, I, I'm kind of leaning with you with the offense of players out. I think I'm, I'll go 30 to 30 to 13 for Hawaii, just to touch where Mexico State will do a little bit here on the ground, move the ball with Johnson and everything. But the Hawaii offense, assuming like they don't need those guys to play, Hunter can sit out, Cordero can sit out another week, let them get to win with the backups and be ready for another game because if they're four and four, they're trying to get to a bowl game. They got they go to Utah State, which I think is winnable. Um, they go to UNLV, winnable, CSU, winnable, Wyoming, eh, we'll see, maybe, but they have enough winnable games left, so why risk playing your starters or guys who are banged up in this game? So I think that's why I'd be sort of close. 30 to 13 is sort of close. That's right, where, then. That's So anything else to add about this game? Uh, or, no, I think we're all set. Or weekend, I should say. I can't wait. I know. <laughs> At 5 o'clock Mountain Time on Saturday, make sure you have uh, two screens, right? Laptop, phone, tablet, TV, whatever your dual screen is, get it going and – Turn off everything else. I don't care what else is going on. These two games will be very exciting and as good as anything else going on the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. At that, because if you're t- really quick, if you look at that time slot, you have Tennessee, Alabama. No, because <laughs> Alabama's going to crush them. If UTSA, La Tech, eh, probably, I don't know, UTSA is undefeated. That's about it. You're not watching Ohio State, Indiana. USC, Notre Dame, no. Like those teams aren't. USC's downtrending big time. So this is what you're watching. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, get to these games. MWR.com of all our previews, recaps, uh, all sorts of stuff going on this week, projections, picks, all that stuff. And so, yeah, we'll see you guys uh, next time to recap the week. And yeah, hope your team wins.